Nutrition is remarkable in its ability to have people with completely opposite views saying they have science to support completely opposite views. Frustrating, isn't it? What are we supposed to believe? Welcome to Dynamism Biohacking. My name is Dr. Matt Hammett, wellness and nutrition expert, lifestyle trainer, and movement enthusiast. And each week, I'm going to share with you how to make the right nutritious choices despite conflicting expert opinions, where I help you to discover how to unlock your inner aborigine or your inner greatness. Thank you for spending this time with me today. So let's get into the training. Let me explain an example of what's called spinning science, right? We're going to continue our story when we talked about in the last training on the bond. We talked about Carter, the researcher who uh, studied 40 years of her life on just one biomolecule, oxytocin. And if you recall earlier from that training, I indicated a bit about oxytocin and autism. And well, what happened when spinning science got their hands on this linear pathway methodology and decided to increase the levels of oxytocin artificially in infant rats with autism, and keep in mind, they theorized that adding levels of oxytocin to infants earlier in life would make the babies more socially apt later in life. But what happened surprised them. It did not surprise Carter at all. So what happened? Find out in our next Dynamism Biohack, Spinning Science. Dynamism is the enthusiastic quality or charism that dynamic people possess that characterizes them by their vigorous action and progress. They step outside that it's genetic cliche, the blame it, name it, and tame it with a drug approach into what I call true health. This is the health class your doctor doesn't know, the wellness prevention and health promotion solution, how to get and stay well for a lifetime. That's dynamism. Carter and her research partner, Karen Bales, recently completed a study in voles that were meant to mimic the effect of giving autistic children a few squirts of oxytocin while they were young. At first glance, the treatment on the voles seemed to work, but only while they were young. As the voles are aged, their behaviors turned away from regular social prairie vole society life, the males had a difficult time finding a mate. You see, those early doses of oxytocin made them less, not more, social as adults. Carter believes these phenomena happen because the initial doses are desensitizing the normal receptors on the young voles. Then, as they age, the receptors become less able to read the normal levels of oxytocin. This line of research is where it gets very downright personal for us. Carter can recall how rare it was for doctors to inject mothers in labor with the synthetic form of oxytocin. Pitocin. In fact, it only happened about 10% of deliveries. In case you are unaware today, Pitocin is almost always given to laboring moms 
in the United States today. In fact, around 90% of the time. Many mothers and scientists are wondering what we did to our babies by allowing the doctors to give us that. The worst of it, of, of it all, is the fact that mothers usually have no choice. They get a drugged birth unless previously discussed, which is even sometimes ignored. And doctors argue that the drug is for the mother, not the baby. However, we know that the same molecule goes to the brain seconds after a mist of it is in the air. I do not see that as a valid argument when the baby in utero is intimately connected to the source. Carter and other scientists are troubled by this because the results from their studies showed up in those perivals only when they became adults. It was not until very recently that their fears came in a more recent report in the New England Journal of Medicine correlating an increasing in the incidence of autism in humans with receiving Pitocin during delivery. If we venture back a moment when I discussed Carter's earlier prairie vole experiments and that the neuropeptides in question caused uh, monogamy, social bonding, sexual attraction, and solid parenting, it would be great to end it there. However, what happens when we spin science? We venture from the rat lab into human experimentation. And this Pitocin thing is human experimentation gone mad. Science Magazine reported on an adult human experiment in Amsterdam, which used a nasal dose of oxytocin and assessed the effects with an innocent game of gambling for money. Let me read that report. This is what they quote. Compared with men who got a, uh, who got a saline spray, those who sniffed oxytocin behaved more altruistically to members of their own team. They were more likely to preemptively punish competitors. In a 2011 study in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, the same team found, and I quote that, that oxytocin increased favoritism toward subjects' own ethnic group, right? On a series of tasks and thought that the experiments done on a computer, in some situations, the treated men exhibited more prejudiced against other groups. So in, in, in the case, it was the native Dutch men versus the Germans and Middle Easterns. Right in the study. So Carter noted that once the injected infant vole reached puberty, the male became a lethal weapon. He will fight to the death any intruders, while at the same time nurturing his young and devoted mate. In other words, oxytocin does something more than giving us feel-good chemicals. It makes us protective which from an evolutionary adaptive point of view means it can make us violent to survive the threat. 
So not trusting others outside our social environment is the flip side of the social bonding that allows us to trust those closest to us. The evolutionary biological debate has much rested on the idea of individual fitness and a discrete unit of genes, the only group in which evolution can act. On the contrary, social and behavior studies on ants, termites, prevos, and humans came to ripen the idea of group fitness or community cooperation. Behavioral studies raise the idea of community rather than individual selection, although it's still debated. Genes do have a role, but so does our environment. The yin and yang of human physiology is in a balance by a dynamic interaction of biomolecules and neuropeptides that science cannot even begin to scratch the surface on. Nevertheless, sometimes it is to our advantage to be selfish and seek individual time, and at other times, to do what is best for the group. It seems to coincide as selfish behavior and altruism, or in the yin and the yang. Both have their advantages in evolutionary terms, and we are wired to express both. Now, our human connection with one another, well, it helps us cope with stress. The ability to adapt to an ever-changing environment gets its control by the same hormones and the same areas of the brain that enable us to survive stress. We experience a sense of resilience in the face of stressors when we are in communal support rather than when we feel isolated or lonely. And some fascinating research demonstrated that lesions in tissues of animals heal more quickly when living in the community than in isolation. So Dr. Susan Carter and another one by the name of Stephen Porges wrote a report for a journal. This is what it was called. It was called The Biochemistry of Love, an Oxytocin Hypothesis. And let me grab that. He's, they state that, here we go, the protective effects of positive socialty seem to rely on the same cocktail of hormones that carry a biological message of love throughout the body. So for example, the molecules associated with love have restorative powers, including the ability to heal a broken heart. They go on to add, oxytocin receptors are expressed in the heart and precursors for oxytocin seem to be crucial for the development of the fetal heart. Oxytocin exerts protective and restorative effects in part through its capacity to convert undifferentiated stem cells into cardiomyocytes. And they finally, they add, oxytocin can facilitate adult neurogenesis and tissue repair, especially after a stressful experience. Oxytocin has direct anti-inflammatory and antioxidant pro uh, properties as well, found in models of atherosclerosis. And the heart seems to rely on oxytocin as part of a normal process of protection and self-healing. 
In this context, it's best to end this chapter in the common words for the biochemistry of love of Dr. Sue Carter and Stephen Porges. And they write, Social engagement helps us to cope with stress. The same hormones in areas of the brain that increase the capacity of the body to survive stress also enable us to better adapt to an ever-changing social and physical environment. Individuals with strong emotional support and relationships are more resilient in the face of stressors than those who feel isolated or lonely. Lesions in bodily tissues, including the brain, heal more quickly in animals that are living socially compared with those in isolation. The protective effects of positive socialty seems to rely on the same cocktail of hormones that carry a biological message of love throughout the body. As only one example, the molecules associated with love have restorative properties, including the ability to, to literally heal a broken heart, as well as those after mentioned. The heart seems to rely on oxytocin as part of a normal process of protection and self-healing. A life without love is not a life fully lived. Although research into mechanisms through which love protects us against stress and disease is in its infancy, this knowledge will ultimately increase our understanding of the way that our emotions have an impact on health and disease. We have much to learn about love and much to learn from love. Lighten up, move better, and live fuller. If you are a current patient in our office, I love you. Thank you so much for your confidence in us. If you are not a patient, I certainly would love to meet you someday. Go to our website, newlifefamilychiropractic.net. And also, I just want to remind everyone that we got the same 24 hours in a day. I'm no busier than you are, but if your goal is to live a happier, healthier, and fuller life, you've got to learn to manage yourself. And that means managing your movement, which drives your energy. When we better manage our energy, we're better able to be more present and vibrant and enjoy our life. We're better able to manage our five pillars of a dynamic health. You deserve a life that is peaceful, that is balanced, that is happy, where you have tons of good health. The health that you need, the health that is on demand when you need it most. You see, because health doesn't come to you, it comes from you. It is a fruit that is grown and earned. And I know we all heard the genetic cliche, the blame it, name it, and tame it with a drug approach. But the truth is, the solution doesn't lie with more drugs and surgeries. The solution lies with you. You know it's not so much of a healthcare crisis as it is a self-care crisis 
in our world today. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I love you. I love hearing from you. So don't forget to reach out to me. Let me know what you thought about this episode. Do so by whatever is your favorite social media platform. Send me a message there. Let me know that you listened to this episode and what you thought of it. And as always, I appreciate it in advance anyone who is kind enough to write a review. That is the ultimate gift. I appreciate you very much for that. I love spending this time with you. I'm Dr. Matt Hammett reminding you to lighten up, move better, and live fuller. Until next, Dynamism Biohack.